Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of April 5th, 2021, as we recap the opening series of the 2021 season for the Chicago White Sox. And boy, uh, these past four games can't be what's in store for White Sox fans this season. Terrible defense. The bullpen not pitching all that mighty uh, is certainly an eye-opening experience. Uh, There is some good if you are looking for a silver lining out of this opening series against the Angels. Uh, Yura Mercedes went crazy, and Lucas Giolito pitched like an ace. Uh, But Tim Anderson hobbled, and he is day-to-day with hamstring tightness and that is an injury that cost him about 10 games last season Uh, so there could be another significant injury on the horizon for the Chicago White Sox that they're going to have to overcome we're going to recap the opening series for the White Sox we're also going to preview the midweek series as the White Sox travel to Seattle and answer your questions in P.O. Sox in this episode but now joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com it's Jim Margulis, and hello, Jim. I feel like even though it's 2021, we are still living in the end of the 2020 season watching the Chicago White Sox team. Yeah, I've had that thought a lot, and uh, I was thinking listening to your intro that it's never good when you refer to the first four games as the past four games. <laughs> I think that makes the season sound a lot longer uh, than it's actually been so far. It it did feel like a long series. It felt like maybe postseason baseball at times, but not in the way that postseason baseball – or it's not a flattering uh, comparison because oftentimes uh, postseason baseball is overthought and too tense. You know, just you can feel the pressure getting the guys and 
the way some decisions were handled, the way some guys pitched, the way uh, some guys swung uh, with runners in scoring position made it feel like, uh, you know, there was some sawdust, you know, being squeezed out of bad handles and uh, pitching decisions being overthought. And it was just a, a very long four days. Very long, very long. And the way that it ended uh, with the Angels and Jared Walsh, he had two home runs in the final contest, a game that was on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, a walk-off home run. And uh, the White Sox are 1-3. and three. They had a chance to win opening day, uh, but poor defense cost them in the eighth inning. Uh, they could have won game three, but poor pitching from Evan Marshall in the eighth inning cost him the third game. So there was a chance that the White Sox could have had uh, two more wins if they just played better in the later innings in game one and game three. Uh, game In the final game, this was a game they should have not won. I mean, they scored three runs on terrible throws by the Angels as their defense uh, gave the White Sox three runs. Uh, so the fact that it was tied 4-4 going to the ninth inning uh, was somewhat of a miracle <laughs> for the White Sox as they just could not hit Shohei mm-hmm. Otani very well. Uh, but Otani did give up five walks in that game. But the one thing that everyone's going to talk about is this podcast gets released Monday morning, right before the White Sox play their next series against the Mariners, is the fact that When the game was tied, Liam Hendricks is warming up for the White Sox. And the game is still tied. And Liam Hendricks is not coming out of the bullpen to pitch the ninth inning to ensure that the White Sox get into extra innings for an opportunity to win a game against the Angels, to steal a game. Instead, Larusa goes with Jose Ruiz. And I think Ruiz gives up a single right away. And then Mike Trout is coming up to bat, and it appears that Ruiz is going to face Mike Trout, but at the very last second, Larusa takes his sweet time and replaces him with Matt Foster. Matt Foster strikes him out, but then a walk, and then a single, and then a three-run bomb, and the game is over, and Liam Hendricks is not used at all. And Jim, that decision-making, and Larusa after the game, uh, said what I thought he was going to say is that he wanted to save Hendricks uh, for the lead. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but, you know, that line of thinking is why Rick Khan fired Rick Renteria after the 2020 season. And that's why I say this is a continuation of the end of the 2020 season. That nothing has really changed with this ball club. You may have some new faces. But the way that season ended is exactly how this season is starting for the White Sox. And as somebody has pointed out to me on Twitter, the last 19 games the Chicago White Sox have played, the first four in 2021 and the last 15 in 2020, including the postseason, they're 4-15. and 15. They have been playing bad baseball for a while. Yeah, it's there. there is a lot reminding me of, of you know, as you mentioned, you know, a couple of times now, just a lot of uh, 
a lot of comparisons and similarities to 2020. And I was listening to the ESPN broadcast, and I think, you know, basically the less said about it, the better. But I was, you know, I think one of the weaknesses of the broadcast is, is that it's very flattering to everybody. It's very flattering to Tony LaRusse. It's very flattering to Ethan Katz. It's very flattering to Rick Hahn. Uh, and then you know, they have a graphic saying the White Sox have made the postseason once in the last 10 years. And, you know, I, I was just you know, listening to the, the, you know, ravings about Ethan Katz. And it's like, well, he hasn't really done anything. And the results early on are just like, well, you know, it's, you, you don't blame Katz for it necessarily. But also just I can't tell a difference so far. And same thing with La Russa. I mean, I, I will say you can say you can see some differences with La Russa. Like he was very, I would say, very aggressive in yanking starters. Uh, and I think that was uh, one of the disappointments of the series was, the, the performance of the starting pitchers, but I think he pulled them at appropriate times. And, you know, he in, in the second game of the series, he was very aggressive in deploying Hendricks in the eighth inning. Then uh, I think maybe the weakness there was that, you know, after the White Sox uh, piled it on in the ninth and, and made it a six-run game, that they let Hendricks pitch out the rest of the game. He ended up throwing 34 pitches, and maybe that's one reason why he wasn't as willing to uh, entertain the idea of using Hendricks for multiple innings this time around. So maybe, you know, the case was that um, the decision in game two backfired a little bit and made him feel less comfortable about going for it in game four. But either way, uh, yeah, it, it just felt a little bit regressive. And, and even, you know, in the top of the inning with uh, Larry Garcia bunting with a runner on first, you know, giving himself up and then lowering run expectation just so happens that uh, uh, Rizal Iglesias is terrible at fielding position and it all worked out. That, that, you know, it's hard to fault the bunt given the way the PFP worked out, but, um, you know, that was a little rentry ish too. So, yeah, right now it's, uh, if you're looking for a difference, you're looking for a detail oriented baseball and everything that every new manager gets in the spring training after taking over for an unpopular manager, you really didn't find it here in the first four games. No, and Iglesias also bailed out Nick Magical because Nick Magical was toast. Uh, going to third base and then got stuck, but Iglesias' throw sailed <laughs> over Anthony Rendon and allowed yeah. Nick Magical to score. I will say that Magical, you know, at first I thought it was a bad base running play, but it was really like he, uh, the the shortstop was basically playing behind second base, so I think he had the right idea in taking off. Just Iglesias made a good stab, and I think you know, mm-hmm. um, that's the one case where uh, I think Magical's first instinct was correct. But aren't you usually taught that you're going to have to wait to make sure the ball gets past the pitcher before making that decision? Yeah, but it was fairly hard hit, and, and Iglesias had to go across his body, so I could see like the odds pulling him in that direction, and it just didn't work out. But yeah, either way, you know, it's it's going to be magical with uh, two outs anyway in third base. So that's a case where you know if it were um, you know nobody out, and you know he had a couple chances to get the third or score, then maybe it matters. But in this case, you know he could probably extend the rundown, get Garcia to second, and it's no you know he's no worse for the wear. Let's try to talk about something positive for the White Sox because there's there's a lot or to should say, pick at. Yeah, I should say that was Eaton who would have been on second, not Garcia. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, I was going to say I wanted to try to pick – because there's a lot to pick at, right? The bullpen is not pitching well after four games. That doesn't mean that they're not going to pitch well for the rest of the season. The starters didn't go deep in this series. Starting pitching rarely goes deep in the opening series for any ball club. You typically have to lean a little bit more on your bullpen the first couple of series while the starter pitcher, your starting pitchers get ramped up where they you can feel confident getting, letting them throw 100-plus pitches. Uh, the offense is still struggling against righties. 
and they still smash left-handed pitching. Not much has changed as far as the offense, even though Aloy Jimenez is not in the lineup. But on the offensive side, uh, something new that we're going to do this season, calling it the Golden Cog, because this is the Sox Machine podcast, which is a player of the week. And in the first week of the 2021 season, it's just four games. Uh, But he is the talk of the league, especially the way that he started his 2021 season, something that we haven't seen since 1900. And that's Yerma Mercedes starting 8-for-8 this season. And in the series against the Angels, he overall went 9-for-14, which is a terrific series, no matter how you split those nine hits up over 14 at-bats, with a home run and six RBIs. And Jim, this is a very nice and pleasant surprise, something that the White Sox definitely do need because they are searching for someone to help fill in the offensive void that Aloy Jimenez has left. And you wrote about the swing adjustments that Yerma Mercedes has made and maybe what has led uh, to his hot start. The question that I have is with this hot start, because Andrew Vaughn did not play in two of the games of this opening series, and there are some White Sox fans that are questioning if Andrew Vaughn's not playing every day, uh, why is he with the White Sox? You might as well send him back to Schaumburg then and, you know, get to manipulate his service time and, and gain an extra year. Uh, everybody knows how I feel about that. I think Vaughn's fine, stay, you know, sitting on the bench for a couple of games in the opening series. But if your Mercedes is as good of a hitter as he has proved to be at AAA level, how does that influence Tony LaRusse's lineup moving forward? It's it's tough, you know. It, with with Vaughn not playing two games, you know, it's possible that Mercedes and Vaughn cover the positions. So maybe that's a case where you know, if Vaughn, you know, we've talked about it before that you know he's, he hasn't played above high A. So you know, maybe it is a little bit too much for him going on. And yeah, you, you know, if he happens to be the case where they just can't find playing time for him, they can send him back to Schaumburg, and that wouldn't be manipulating a service time. That would just be. Well, one guy has been more ready and he's had more experience facing similar pitchers and we're going to roll with him for a while until Vaughn gets up to speed. Uh, I wouldn't consider that service time manipulation the way we've seen it happen before. So I can see a case where Mercedes does uh, pass him by at least temporarily and then eventually they find a place for him somewhere else. Maybe left field, um, and it could be left field, who knows, because with Tim Anderson uh Injuring his hamstring, and maybe he, right now he's saying day to day. But if he has to miss time, then Garcia is pressed into everyday service and shortstop, and maybe you know Vaughn does get the bulk of playing time and left, and the situation resolves itself. Um, but yeah, right now, just with the way uh, the bench goes, and I was thinking about that with Mercedes. You know, after you reach on the infield single and thinking about pinch runners, it's like, well, Hamilton's left, Garcia's at shortstop. You don't want to put Vaughn in the pinch run or Collins in the pinch run, so you're stuck with them. You know, the bench as constructed with three catchers and uh, even Vaughn is barely a first baseman just in terms of how much playing time is going to get there. Just they're very limited in what they can do. So if Mercedes is good, it just more or less takes the pressure off Vaughn having to deliver right now. Um, but that doesn't really do a whole lot to the White Sox when you look at the like, defensive alignment on the diamond. They really could still use a fixture in left field, and maybe Vaughn's still that guy because he hasn't screwed up and left yet. But, uh, yeah, it's it's just tough the way the roster is constructed, and that's why, you know, we, we talked about it with uh, Eloy Jimenez's absence. 
how it affects the White Sox projections. And this is one of the ways where, you know, the, the trickle-down effect, the cascading effect, just uh, creates a bigger absence than maybe just removing his wins above replacement from the win total, you know, can really capture. Let's talk about Tim Anderson's injury. And the concern that I have is it didn't look great for him running down first base in his first plate appearance. And the White Sox are reporting that's left hamstring tightness that he is day-to-day. As I mentioned in the intro, Anderson had an issue with his hamstring last season, and it cost him 10 games. Uh, so we'll see, you know, just uh, if, if LaRusso pulled Anderson for precautionary reasons, so it didn't get worse during the game, and then all of a sudden you do have to put him on the 10-day injured list. Uh, but something tells me that Anderson's not going to be available for the first game against the Seattle Mariners, or at least I would be surprised uh, if he was available. And uh, we'll see if how much action that he misses. But Jim, if if Anderson misses any action in the Mariners series, or let's say he has to go on the injured list because the hamstring tightness is a pulled hamstring, what's the White Sox plan to fill in a possible Tim Anderson injury? Well, you know, as we saw last year, Larry Garcia filled in for a week plus and was more or less fine. And they have Danny Mendick to come up and provide that, you know, give that bench the versatility they were lacking with Anderson being out and Garcia pressed into duty. But it's not, uh, you know, based on the way Garcia has played in the first series and, you know, the fact that he's a weak enough hitter to where bunting a guy over to second and ninth inning on the road is is seen by him and maybe some people is a good idea uh that doesn't really help and with with Jimenez out you know we talked about you know another thing we talked about with Jimenez's injury is that you know that was really the one bad break the White Sox might be able to absorb and they basically need everybody else functioning well enough and not missing too much time you know when you have Jimenez out and Anderson out that's like a big chunk of the production they had against left-handers that made them undefeated against lefties uh, last year and, and just makes them so dangerous even without Jimenez this year, just having Anderson there. Garcia is better against lefties, but not the way Anderson is. Uh, you know, Maybe Vaughn's better against lefties, but not the way Jimenez is. So it just, you know, it, it depletes from a strength. You know, it's one thing if they're weak against right-handed pitching and they just need to, you know, make hay when the situation's advantageous to them, like when the lefty's on the mound. But it's just uh, when if their strength becomes... You know, maybe not quite a weakness, but just uh, neither, like a neutral, uh, that makes it harder for them to just, you know, beat projections or, or uh, beat projections in, a, in a, like a facet of the game that makes up for maybe a way they're going to lose to projections because of injuries. That's, it's really tough. So, you know, it's, it's only four games, but these four games did reveal something about what the White Sox might be battling in the months ahead. Yeah, strikeouts really piled up for the White Sox hitters in this series. Other than Yomer Mercedes, Luis Robert went 5 for 16 in this series, uh, which if you look at those numbers, that's good. He did have a double. The other four hits were singles. Uh, He had an RBI, but he's got six strikeouts already in his first 17 plate appearances. Uh, Jose Abreu has seven strikeouts in his first 19 plate appearances. Yoan Makata has eight strikeouts in his first 17 plate appearances, Jim. Uh, the strikeouts mm-hmm. are really piling up for those three hitters. And Yoan Makata, he had a good opening day where he had a multi-hit game. And since 
he he just the bat looks slow and he looks still out of sorts. And I think he's 0 for 11 with seven strikeouts. Uh, that's that's quite the slump. Uh, the, the strikeouts are always going to be an issue with this lineup. We know that they're free swingers. Is this just something that we're going to have to bite our tongue and just deal with, or is there something that? call to action in the sense of no they are striking out far more frequently than usual i think they're always going to have a tendency at least this year to run hot and cold just because you know luis robert you know yoan makata you know the guys you mentioned jose brayu gets into funks where he swings at everything like the last two at bats of the game on sunday he swung and missed it six pitches below his knees just they, they just kept going there and he Fouled a couple off, but they they just kept poking at it and thinking, like, eventually he, we're going to get one low enough that he's uh, going to swing over it, and sure enough, he did. I think that's just what the White Sox do. Even Tim Anderson is like that, just running hot and cold, gets on a home run streak, then gets into a situation where he's either striking out or grounding everything to the left side. That's what I think, you know, made your mean Mercedes so refreshing over the first four games is that you know he has a couple swings he can air it out early in the count but he's not afraid to hit later in the count and fight off pitches and maybe get something more to his liking and be able to you know hit a line drive serve a line drive into left field or center field uh and that's something a skill that like you know Makata doesn't quite have Robert definitely doesn't have early on uh and I think they're going to run hot and cold for that reason and I think there are going to be weeks where they feel like world beaters and we're, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, them making around the Twins or taking over the AL Central. And then another week after that, it's going to be more like this. <laughs> just uh, situations where they just they, they look uh, inconsolably bad. And uh, it's going to be tough to find a medium just because I think they will be so prone to extremes that um, you're going to have uh, the two sections or, or two ends of the spectrum of the White Sox fan base on Twitter just barking at each other back and forth. The ones that are too positive, the ones that are too negative, and, and both will have reasons to be indulged, I think, for weeks at a time. Yeah, the White Sox as a team struck out 43 times in the four-game series against the Angels, and hopefully that number does cut down and we see a little bit more offense. But Again, it's just a continuation of 2020. The White Sox are 1-0 when they score five runs or more. They're 0-3 already in 2021 when they don't score five runs. Uh, And a lot of that is they still struggle against right-handed starters. They're probably going to continue to struggle against right-handed starters. Uh, until Mankata starts hitting better from the left side, Grandal starts hitting better from the left side, I think the White Sox are going to struggle because right now the hitters that have the best swings against right-handed pitching uh, on the left side, at least, is Adam Eaton and Billy Hamilton, Jim. Yeah, Hamilton looked fine. You know, it's actually kind of refreshing the way he swung the bat uh, compared to the other ones. But, yeah, it's it's just a limited lineup. And I think, you know, Jimenez, you know, he was supposed to be, and I think he could have been this year, just great against, you know, Pitchers, no matter what, you know, he's got the plate coverage, the power, um, you know, the, the ability to barrel balls, like going away from him. Uh, that's something a lot of the lineup does not have. And yeah, it's going to be maddening at times. And I think, uh, you know, Tony La Russa will be tested at times. And, uh, you know, when he has an off series or makes a deci- decision like the Hendricks one, or say with, uh, you know, Garcia batting for himself in ladings, like, uh, if he's not pulling all the strings, and I think there, there's a temptation to pull all the strings and things aren't going well, 
um, you know, his reputation could affect it a little bit, just in terms of like, I thought you're supposed to, I, I thought you're supposed to help this. I thought that you were mm-hmm. supposed to avoid this. I thought, you know, Renteria was a feel good guy and you're the stone cold tactician and, and nothing's changed. And, you know, that, that, that could be the case where, you know, you know, Larusa isn't the right fit for this club and Renteria had something going to where like, uh, you know, the, the soft skills maybe did pay off, but it also could be that just, this is a tough team given how limited the roster is in certain positions to where, you know, you can try to make all the effort in the world to, you know, gain edges or, you know, gamesmanship or uh, putting guys in position to win and platoons and whatnot. And it just doesn't quite matter enough to make a difference. This team, though, does need to quickly learn how to win games when they are not going to be able to score five runs, Jim. They just do. Because there's going to be games against the Twins and there's going to be games against the Indians where you're facing Bureos or Maeda or Bieber or Plesak and the offense might only be able to get three or four runs. But you could get good enough starting pitching where they only give up two runs. So you got a 3-2 lead going into the seventh inning and this team defensively and in the bullpen, they need to learn on, be, on how to be able to hold on to those one-run leads. Because I think that's the difference between the contenders and the pretenders. Yeah, I think in this case, too, though, uh, to go back to the starting pitching, is that you know they didn't get one. I think in a four-game series where you don't get one good start, I think you do end up losing three out of four. Um, they, I think the way the White Sox lost three out of four is very frustrating and, and in a way, takes the pressure off just the poor or mediocre starts that they had from, you know, Giolito and Keuchel and Lynn and Cease. But, you know, it's it's still, you know, a unit that's supposed to take pressure off other units in the case of the bullpen. You know, I would say the defense, you know, reared its ugly head multiple times over the course of mm-hmm. the uh, over the course of the series. And, and you know, Aaron Bummer, um, you know, had a rough game, but he pitched fine. The defense was just terrible behind him. Uh, that was a case where, yeah, that is the, uh, the starting pitching wasn't bad and, and the bullpen wasn't bad. The defense blew it. Uh, but in, in, in other starts, and I think there's a cumulative effect to where, you know, when Keuchel and Lynn and uh, Cease don't complete five and the uh, bullpen does have to cover longer innings and, you know, Kopech has to go multiple innings instead of one and being able to be used in back-to-back days. And, and Crochet has to go multiple innings uh, and, uh, you know, Larusa feels compelled to use Hendricks for four outs. You know that, that's a case where I think it does add up and it makes the bullpen and those one-run leads a bit harder to close. So I think the starting pitching needs to step up too. I think everybody basically needs to step up. This was a series where no real facet of the game can, you know, come on the plane after the series and, and feel great about what they did. Maybe Mercedes, but that's because he was a DH. No, that's a great point. Hopefully this serves as a wake-up call for this 2021 squad. And as far as wake-up calls, they are heading to one of the most caffeinated cities in America, Seattle, next to have a three-game series against the Seattle Mariners. Jim and I are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. But coming up next on the Sox Machine Podcast, we preview that upcoming series as the White Sox face the Mariners. When you rely on the internet for everything... You need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on Internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. 
That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. The Chicago White Sox head north from Anaheim to Seattle, now for a three-game series against the Mariners. And the Mariners are 2-1 and one to start the season, winning two out of three against the San Francisco Giants. A wild opening day game where they won in extra innings 8-7 to seven as they scored six runs at the bottom of the eighth inning, then coughed up the lead in the ninth inning. And then, of course, uh, ended up winning that game in the 10th inning. They lost game two, six to three, but they blanked the Giants in game three with a score of four to nothing. Their hot hitters coming into this series are Mitch Haneker. White Sox fans know him very well as he is still a popular trade target um, for hypothetical moves that the White Sox could possibly make to replace Eloy Jimenez in the corner outfield spot. Haneker went 4 for 13 against the Giants with the home run. Their DH, Ty France, went 3 for 10 with the home run. And third baseman Kyle Seeger went 3 for 12. The pitching problems for this series between the White Sox and the Mariners, starting on Monday at 9.10 p.m. Central Time, will be the first start of 2021 for Carlos Rodon. He'll be going up against Justice Sheffield. On Tuesday at 9.10 p.m. Central Time, Lucas Giolito makes his second start of the season against James Paxton. On Wednesday, this is getaway day, so it's a 3.10 p.m. Central Time start. It's Dallas Keuchel against Justin Dunn. Jim, the White Sox will be facing two left-handed pitchers in this series to kick it off with Sheffield and Paxton. They've won 14 straight games against lefty starters. Do you see this streak continuing? Uh I'm going to say that it's going to be tough to pick up both. I think they can pick up a win uh, against, you know, one of the two. They, Sheffield has pitched well over his career, but the White Sox did get him last time around. Paxton has had a little bit of an iffy uh, start, and I, I think I like that Lucas Giolito-Paxton matchup. Paxton's been fine, just got off to a late start because of visa issues and everything like that, so maybe they can catch him off guard the way that, you know, Keuchel kind of looked uh, shaky in his first start. So, yeah, I, I feel like... Um, you know, I, I like that second game with Giolito and Paxton. I just, you know, with Dylan Cease disappointing in his debut uh, after looking so good in the spring, I kind of have a residual carryover about, like, not feeling great about Carlos Rodon. And and if you're looking for a starter to go five innings and he comes to Rodon and he's the guy you need to do it, I don't feel great about that. So that's where I think it could get a bit hairy. Yeah, if Carlos Rodon does not pitch well, I think, even including myself, uh, White Sox fans are going to take everything that we saw in spring training and throw it in the garbage <laughs> after the way uh, that ceased through and uh, against the Angels in game four. And if Carlos Rodon does not start well against Seattle, I, I you mentioned the cease start and there were times that he pitched well against the Angels, but he only struck out three batters mm-hmm. and he's not getting a lot of whiffs. And the Angels really hit his fastball hard. So when they put the ball in play, multiple exit velocities of 95-plus miles per hour, uh, which is significant because those are barrels. Uh, so he gave up a lot of hard contact. 
So I'm with you looking at Dylan Cease's first start after striking out 11 in his last spring training start. It's a repeat of 2020 for Cease, but for Carlos Rodon, what are your expectations for his first start in 2021, especially with how well he threw in spring training? Well, I'd like to see, you know, I would love to see five innings or more just because uh, of the lack of five inning starts the last three times out. But realistically for him and just, you know, being cautious with them and, and trying to bring him all the way back into a uh, regular starting role after missing so much time, like four innings would be fine if they can somehow, you know, maybe bring Kopech back or, you know, maybe they have, uh, you know, Evan Marshall can bounce back and deliver one plus innings. But uh, if you're trying to counter, you know, the, the lineup that faces uh, a lefty like Rodon with right-handed talent, you know, it's, uh, they they don't really have maybe that, that well-rested guy who can pitch multiple innings unless Kopech is ready to go again. So that's why I really would love to see Rodon go 5-6. I'm hoping the way that he did it, um, you know, with that fastball being improved with the velocity in life, uh, being able to, you know, use that fastball to get counts and not rely on the slider and have really long counts and foul tips and uh, defensive swings that extended bats and rack up the pitch count. Maybe he has a more straightforward way of getting through five-plus innings that he didn't have before when he was just trying to basically slider his way through the whole thing. Maybe that's the one silver lining I can find. Um, but right now, you know, if you're counting on him being the uh, the stopper, the durability guy, that's kind of new and scary, and I don't like it. Uh, but, you know, the weird thing about Cease, you know, he had the thing where he's pulling the fastball into the left-handed batter's box, but Lucas Giolito was kind of doing the same thing. Like, he was overthrowing. I don't know if it was, like, first start of the season mm-hmm. a, adrenaline-type thing that was just uh, affecting him. Uh, and, and Rodon maybe could be subject to the same thing, but it's... You know, having seen that come back, and then you know, come, then he's backed up by Rodon, who's very familiar for the uh, ways he's struggled in the same ways and, and failed when they've wanted to count on him for uh, being somebody who contributes to the rotation. That's just a little bit unnerving. And Giolito was slowing down a little bit in that opening day start, but the way that he started that game against the Angels was very impressive. So I'm not concerned about yeah. Giolito out of these three probable pitching matchups. I think he's still going to do well. And I think the White Sox should be able to win that Tuesday game. I also think the White Sox should be able to win the Monday game. I just think it's going to be a little bit high scoring than expected. Uh, And the offense is really going to have to generate some runs against the left-handed pitching of Justice Sheffield. It's the Wednesday game that I'm concerned about, Jim. And I am concerned about Dallas Keuchel's back. I don't think he had a good start against the Angels in that second game. I know that the White Sox ultimately won that game 12 to 8, but again, they gave up eight runs in that game. A 7 to 1 lead all of a sudden became a 7 to 6 lead. He was having difficulty as far as establishing the low part of the zone, and if he missed in the low part of the zone, he missed high, which means he's right down the middle of the plate. He's got a big wrap around his back before the game starts. The cameras caught that. I'm going to be paying attention to Dallas Keuchel's back. And if the back is preventing him from being effective, both as far as in pitch quality and his ability to go long uh, Mm -hmm. in his start, I wonder if we're going to have to see Michael Kopech 
make spot starts a lot earlier than expected if Keuchel's back starts barking up on him. It could be, or at least some kind of maybe not a spot start, but you know maybe some kind of tandem arrangement where he um, you know goes two to three planned innings with somebody else to plan two to three innings and they stitch together the, the start that way. Yeah, Keuchel, you know that, that was a rough outing just in terms of uh, letting a team back in it when he had a big lead. You know, turning a seven one. You know, what should have been like a 7-1 laugher and a 7-6 game. And the cutter didn't really have much power and the sinker was being left high. And the velocity was more or less in line with what he'd thrown the previous year. But just didn't seem to have life on it or the bites or, the, you know, the, the the driving action on the hands to right-handed hitters or, you know, getting, as you mentioned, he left it up. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was not encouraging. And they kind of brought him along slowly in – spring training and you know there are always two ways to look at it if you're if you trust him it's just that he's a veteran pitcher who knows what he's doing and that's what mark burley you know, mark burley had a lot of spring trainings to where he didn't look great he looked like you know the velocity readings are poor he was getting a late start and he would he would uh kind of uh indulge the the concerns of the press by saying he had stuff like dutch elm disease and other things that uh uh pitchers can't contract and ultimately he would deliver 200 innings when it was fine uh, so some pitches do earn that benefit of the doubt, but Keuchel, you know, given the short season last year and, and not really knowing him as a everyday pitcher in your own system, uh, I don't really have that faith built up yet. And when he has the start, he has, you know, showing some of the bad back stuff that he might have. And, uh, uh, yeah, he had last year, which is at least proof that he might have it again. Yeah. It's, uh, it's reasons to doubt him. And I think, you know, just, based on how short the relationship ends so far between uh, Keuchel and the White Sox and people watching him, yeah, he has to build up a little bit of faith that he can bounce back and he's fully healthy and ready to go. And hopefully he is healthy because, my Lord, the White Sox cannot afford an injury to the starting rotation. The White Sox can't afford any injuries at this moment. We're seeing way too much Billy Hamilton. Uh, We may have to see Lurie Garcia make some starts at shortstop. This team is not close to the roster that we envisioned in late February as spring training uh, was on a roll and the team that we are expecting to be a contender in the American League in 2021. But every team faces injuries and hopefully the injury is not that serious for Tim Anderson and we do see him at some point in this series against Seattle and hopefully Dallas Keuchel's back holds up in his second start against the Mariners but if not just be prepared White Sox fans and it may be a good thing ultimately that we could see more Michael Kopech in this series pitching multiple innings we may see Garrett Crochet pitch multiple innings and the way that they threw against the Angels Jim I'm cool with that because Kopech and Crochet was also part of the bright spots uh, for the White Sox in the first four games of this season and they looked very good coming out of the bullpen yeah, Kopech, yes. Crochet, I don't know. Like I wrote a bit uh, Sunday morning talking about his uh, uh, his two and a thirds innings, which was very impressive or effective in terms of results. Uh, you know, getting everybody out, but the pitch mix was different. You know, he didn't hit a hundred. He was kind of hitting uh, you know ninety eight, ninety seven, ninety six. Uh, was using the changeup more uh, over the last half of his appearance which, you know, could be a way to befuddle the scouting report or it could be just a way uh, a pitcher who needs to use more tricks. And 
uh, yeah, that's another pitcher where we don't really have a relationship with him, don't really know what he looks like over the course of a full season, how he adjusts, how he manages himself. So, you know, when he's when he comes out throwing 97 or averaging 97, maybe that's okay. Maybe that's what he has to do. And last year was such a limited uh, sample, and, and his workload was so small that he could air it out every single time and impress people, and now he has to be a little bit more cautious. But, you know, if he's not getting the kind of swing strikes he got last year and he just has so little experience pitching to advanced hitters, um, I'm kind of holding my breath with him a little bit, hoping that it doesn't catch up with him or, you know, he's, he can't afford to be underpowered with how little polish he has. But Kopech, yeah, I agree with you. He looked great. He looked comfortable, composed, had a few different ways to attack hitters, and I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing so far, and I think he has the potential to build up into somebody who can take starts eventually. I just hope it's not with <laughs> – I hope there are no uh, absences anytime soon because, yeah, if they if Keuchel were to miss time – I really don't want to be shoved, uh, thrust upon Kopech, uh, Kopech just because he does deserve some time to get back in the swing of things. A lot of the quotes coming out of Anaheim before this series against Seattle from the White Sox players, they are not panicking. They know that it's a long season and their heads are not down. But man, they could use a couple of laughers to build up some confidence before they head home for their homestand against the Kansas City Royals and the Cleveland Indians. So hopefully the Chicago White Sox win at least two out of three. This is not a very good Seattle Mariners team. There is a possibility of a road sweep, but like we just saw with Anaheim, I don't know if the West Coast is still giving the White Sox issues. It shouldn't be this time around because they're only traveling from Arizona, uh, so it's not a great deal of distance that they have to cover or multiple time zones. Uh, but it would be really nice if the White Sox could win this series and gain some confidence uh, that they can roll over into their home opener against the Kansas City Royals. Again, the times of those games are Monday. It's 9, 10 p.m. Central Time. Tuesday, 9, 10 p.m. Central Time. And for those that can't stay up that late, the Wednesday game is at 3, 10 p.m. Central Time. And we will have Sox Machine Live after the Wednesday game for you guys on YouTube Live and then later uploaded into the podcast feed. Should White Sox fans be feeling too down about this? I was looking at last year's uh, schedule and, and record, and they did start the year 1-4, and four, then rattled off six straight wins, and they never blow 500 again. So here's hoping that what's Mariner series, at least, uh, should they drop the opener the way I fear they might, they're on pace to win 95 games, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna hold you to that one, Jim. Uh, I think it's how it works. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how it works. But that will do it for that preview. The preview for the Seattle Mariners series. You guys had a lot of questions for us, and we'll be tackling those next in PO Socks. Nissan believes you deserve a car that thrills you, so we have to ask: Does your car thrill you? When you hit the pedal, do you get something back? A chill in your spine, goosebumps on your goosebumps. When you take off, do your fingers tighten around the steering wheel? Does your heart beat in your stomach and your breath catch in your chest? Does driving make you feel alive? Because it should. And if your car doesn't thrill you, ours will. This is the new Nissan. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. 
Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter by tweeting to us at Socks Machine or helping support the site and the show by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. And our questions for this week's P.O. Socks mailbag all come from our Patreon supporters. So thank you to everyone for your gracious support and for submitting questions. And Jim, the first question that we have comes from David. And David is asking, I get catchers dropping to one knee is to get the low strike, but doing it when runners are on base seems like a cardinal sin. Is defensive catching the worst it's ever been in Major League Baseball history? I would say, you know, by some measures, it's probably the best it's ever been. And I think it's a, an adjustment to um, the way analytics have determined just the value of strikes, the value of balls, the value of counts. And also on the other side of the equation, like the, the, the stolen base game has changed. And, you know, as teams have determined um, the value or the damage of caught stealing and uh, the value of base runners as it gets harder to get on base, you know, with the, with the proliferation of strikeouts, um, each base runner becomes more cherished with home runs um, being the driver of offenses. Um, you having runners on base becomes a multiplier and you don't really want to mess with those too much. So uh, I think the way catchers have developed is actually a product of just the running games being secondary now. And so they can be on one knee, uh, you know, throughout counts and throughout situations, because if they have to throw, it'll be a rare occasion. If they get the stolen base, their bullpen might be able to get strikeouts. They're better off focusing on helping pitchers, get counts in their favor to get those strikeouts. And that just seems to weigh it, it, it is right now. I'd be curious, you know, um, when you, when you look at uh, the way catching has changed and, you know, I would say maybe 10 years ago, the gap between the best framers and the worst framers was immense. And, and no, I think the gap between the best framers and worst framers are narrow to the point where some of last year's good ones can be bad ones just based on what average is and, and how, uh, uh, you know, how maybe new talent can emerge or like in the case of James McCann, how somebody can just get a correction and all of a sudden uh, be better than other catchers. So uh, when you when you have that kind of shift, um, it, it, it's uh, it's just kind of an arms race and, and how uh, catchers uh, get developed and valued by other teams. But I'd be curious, like, say if there were somehow a shift in the game that reduced strikeouts, no matter what, and the running game became a bigger factor and teams got faster and, and more active, would catchers shift and would, you know, maybe teams look into catchers who are better at stopping the running game or, you know, blocking pitches to prevent runners from advancing on wild pitches? And then would framing take a hit because framing isn't that important? It's, yeah, it's I think, part of the, uh, the way baseball evolves and, and styles uh, change and certain aspects of the games become em- emphasized and then de-emphasized. And I think right now we're in a, we're in a situation where catchers are largely counted on to do one thing or two things, maybe call a game and uh, present pitches well for the, uh, t- to maximize the value of the game they're calling. Uh, and then the other parts take a hit. And sometimes it's not pretty to watch, but I think that's just kind of a, a a product of a game right now that I think is maybe not aesthetically pleasing. And, uh, you know, maybe there will be either 
changes in the talent or changes in the rules that try to counter that and make it more of an active game. And maybe those uh, other skills will come more into play. Well, David, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Steve Griffith, and Steve is asking, what are the salary parameters for the taxi squad guys? Are they paid like AAA 40-man guys, or do players like Renato Lopez and Danny Mendick get their full Major League Baseball salaries? Uh, it depends on the situation like Lopez because he's uh, in an RB year, and, and once he gets to opening day with an organization, whether he's on the roster or not, his salary is guaranteed. So he gets his full salary no matter where he's playing or, or where he's not playing. Uh, with a guy like Danny Mendick, his contract is a two-way contract uh, because he's not yet ARB eligible, so it's not yet guaranteed. So right now, if he's not on the Major League roster, he's not getting the Major League minimum. Uh, and, and I'm not quite sure right now with the minor league season delayed if teams are paying their minor leaguers. I haven't seen it being a point of focus the way it was last year when the season was canceled, so they might be getting paid when the season starts, so maybe he's not getting paid. But they are getting paid uh, the major league per diem, which I think is like 100 bucks a day or so. Uh, they don't get service time or salary, but they get that per diem. And then I imagine when the season picks up, they'll be getting their minor league, se- uh, minor league salary too. But that's really uh, – uh, there isn't a whole lot of – uh, there isn't really a, a big advantage to being on the taxi squad right now because maybe you travel with the team, but you don't get really uh, any kind of uh, reps or activity. You're not really you know, uniformed with the club, and you're also really not getting paid a whole lot. You get some major league perks to get treated like a major leaguer when you travel, but that's about it. Well, Steve, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Rec, and Rec is asking what meme, past or present, is most appropriate to encapsulate your Mercedes week? Uh, probably the distracted boyfriend uh, <laughs> uh, tweet where uh, you know, uh, you know, Mercedes is the girl in the foreground and the distracted girl in the uh, background is the, uh, you know, maybe whether it's Zach Collins is the backup catcher or Andrew Vaughn is the hyped rookie, either one. Uh, you know, Mercedes kind of uh, took the four in that regard. Either that or I would say maybe the Vince McMahon increasingly orgasmic reactions to every single hit. <laughs> I think that's basically how it went. So, yeah, that's uh, I would sum up his first uh, eight uh, plate appearances of either one of those. I'm just hoping that yeah, I didn't really put too much thought into what happens if Mercedes comes crashing down and that's the only thing to remember him by. But uh, maybe it's the, uh, the sad Wolverine crying, looking at the picture of how things used to be. (laughs) That might be it off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, here's hoping we don't have to discuss that one too much. And maybe Mercedes isn't an all-star or rookie of the year candidate by the end of the year, but hopefully he's just at least productive somehow. And it's just more of a matter of if if he's not quite producing, it's because there's just a glut of players like him on the roster. Well, as in rec, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Mark Hope. And Mark is asking, is there anything to the fact that the White Sox haven't started a season 3-0 since 1992 or just a combination of bad luck and mediocre teams? I would say it's probably the latter. Um, you know, it's not necessarily a fun answer. And if I try to provide like a fun answer, try to like divine an actual reason, um, you know, maybe the one, you know, the kind of the one trait among, you know, I guess the bulk of those teams over those years that they're not really, you know, they're a power-based offense. They're not uh, an offense designed to keep the line moving or take advantage of uh, 
pitchers with control issues or maybe tease control issues out of pitchers. So maybe like, you know, in cold weather when they're playing a lot of, you know, first weeks in Chicago, Aprils and Marches or, you know, Minnesota or other, you know, Detroit, Cleveland, other cold weather cities that it's just not really conducive to, you know, hitting the ball in the park is not going to play up well until like May, June, July when the weather heats up. So those first few weeks are getting by with trying to win like three to two, five to four occasionally. And uh, maybe they don't have the pitching to hold up with that. And it's just those first two weeks, the first uh, however long it takes to get out of snow threats is more about surviving those weeks rather than thriving. And that's basically my best guess. Probably bad luck, but in this case, you know, we, when you had a team that uh, was going to Anaheim and playing in warm weather, and that was an issue, and you, you had some, uh, you had some, uh, you know, favorable pitching matchups that didn't pan out and you didn't really hit the homers you thought you were uh, going to hit. Then, yeah, maybe it's just uh, there, there's uh, something more pervasive uh, beyond even, uh, uh, you know, weather and so forth that that. Uh, that sticks with the team through these early weeks and the OBP, the lack of uh, plate discipline and keeping the line moving. That's my best guess. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your question. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week for PO Sox. If you have a question or topic that you'd like us to tackle on a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We are at Sox Machine and help support Sox Machine at patreon.com slash machine, where we have several different tiers. We have our two war, our three war, our five war, and our 10 war monthly plans, which you get additional content, exclusive content. You also get an ad-free version of the Socks Machine podcast and an opportunity to get bonus PO Socks questions. And when we record with guests, you get an opportunity to submit questions for the guests as well. Our $5 and, 10 to, and our $10 tier supporters get first cracks at any new Socks Machine swag, which is another way that you could help support us by going to the Socks Machine store at SocksMachine.com. But if you like more and if you like our content, go to Socks, go to Patreon.com slash SocksMachine to sign up today. And that will do it for this episode of the Socks Machine podcast. Again, we will be back for Socks Machine Live after the Wednesday game between the White Sox and the Seattle Mariners. We are also kicking off this week the White Sox wake-up call. For those that have been around for the podcast and a long-time subscriber, you already know about this show. It's going to be our daily morning show, which we catch up on what happened with the previous day's game and preview the upcoming game and also recap what happened in Major League Baseball. And once Minor League Baseball comes back, recapping all of the activity that happens with the Minor League Baseball. So the Sox Machine Podcast will have new episodes for you five days a week, Monday through Friday. Uh, So hopefully you don't get too sick of us uh, because there's more things coming at you guys starting this week with the first White Sox wake-up call slated for Tuesday, April 7th. So those are two programming notes that I have for you. And then, of course, we'll continue to produce content for YouTube.com slash Machine. And we already had a huge wave of folks subscribing to the YouTube channel. If you do watch videos on YouTube and you'd like to see some of our video content, go to YouTube.com slash Machine. Uh, to subscribe today. You can listen to the Socks Machine podcast 
wherever you listen to podcasts. And the Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Macy's Star Money Bonus Days are happening now. It's a special time when Star Rewards members earn bonus points and get to their next reward faster. You'll get $10 in Star Money for every $50 spent with a Macy's card or $10 for every $100 spent as a bronze member. Shop Spring Styles and get rewarded with Star Money. Now through April 18th, Macy's Star Rewards. It's how we love you back. Visit Macy's.com slash Star Money for exclusions and details.